So take your Bibles and let's turn to the book of Titus. The book of Titus. In the New Testament, there are five books that start with the letter T, and they're all clumped up next to each other, right? And, and the, the names get shorter as they go, right? First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, First Timothy, Second Timothy, and then Titus, just five letters. So that's how you find it. If you find a T book, just keep moving to the right. The book of Titus. While you're turning there, I'll just say that um, there are some big things going on in our church. Um, you'll see that the, the title of the series in the book of Titus is Church Matters, um, or Church Matters. Huh? Very clever. And we knew that there were going to be some big things going on in our church right now. We knew that. We expected that. Like installing elders, local elders for our church. That's going to be happening here in the next uh, six to nine weeks. Super excited about that. It's a huge deal. And so we prepared to talk about church matters. What sort of practical instructions, practical wisdom have we been given from God in the New Testament about such practical matters in the church? And uh, the book of Titus is, is ready-made for that. Uh, there are some other big things going on that I didn't expect were far from my imagination uh, at, at the time that I was putting this preaching calendar together, but they're still big things, and I, I told you I'd keep you updated. I've got right here a signed lease for our new space. That's awesome. An awesome blessing from God. I, I'm going to hand this over to Charlie Malmberg today, and he's going to take it to the landlord, and then unless the landlord just doesn't want our money um, and tears up the deal, which I'll view as a providential, spiritual miracle of protection from God, we're going to be meeting in a new place soon. And I'll tell you about all of that much later, like next week and all of that. More to say, more to say, lots of work to do. Um, this is more about a beginning than it is about a finish. But um, it's interesting that God has given us this opportunity to talk about really practical matters. Like, it, it, it feels kind of funny to, like, to be talking about, like, church business and a sermon, but really, that's actually quite appropriate. Quite appropriate. That's the substance of the book of Titus, right? Paul is rapidly planting churches all over. He comes to this island of, of, of Crete. That, that's uh, a picture of Crete right there. Comes to the island of Crete, plants churches in Crete, and, and he leaves Titus behind uh, as he goes off to do more rapid church planting. He says, Titus, there's a lot of stuff to take care of, bro, and, uh, and you're in charge. And I'm going to leave you some instructions. Very practical things. So here are Paul's practical instructions. But here's what I want us to notice first. They are practical instructions with a vertical orientation. Practical instructions with a vertical orientation. The practical and the vertical are united. 
You know what I mean by that? That, that church isn't just about what we do here or even here with one another. Church is first and foremost about God. It's for the Lord. He has bought for himself a people, and it's for him and his glory. The practical and the vertical must be united. If you sever the vertical from the practical, all you're left with is the pragmatic. Now, this is really important for me, Mr. Practical. I mean... <laughs> I'm so practical when I was single. Thank you for saving me. <laughs> when I was single, my apartment had whiteboards for wallpaper. I just I would just take notes on the wall, right? I'm thinking about something, I write it up the grocery list up on the wall, you know, it's just all over. That's just kind of how I lived. There were a few plants, which I barely kept alive, and then whiteboards. Just Mr. Practical. I, I, once, I once dated this girl, and she was into bling. Oops. And, and I wasn't. I was, I, I was there in my tercel, right, Mr. Practical. And, and, and right away, this wasn't going anywhere. And she had all kinds of questions for me, and, and she asked me, why, why, do, why do you shave your head? I said, well, I just, I just think it's super practical. This was well into the date, by the way. And um, she's, she's practical. Yeah, it doesn't take me any time to get ready. I've probably saved three grand in shampoo and haircuts alone. <laughs> she's like, that's it. Take me home. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That really happened. And thank goodness it did, because like months later, I met the love of my life. And she loved my whiteboards. Maybe you've got the same disease. Practical. Just super practical. But if you sever the vertical from the practical, that's when you just start running church like a business. When you sever the vertical from the practical, that's when you just start studying the Bible like it's an archaeology manual. And not... God's living, razor-sharp word that cuts to the bone and then heals with an instant touch. That is our living God at work in us. So yes, practical matters. Church matters. But always united to and integrated with the vertical. God is our source God is our reason. God is our sustainer. If we're going to talk about church matters, let's start by talking about vertical matters. As Paul does here in Titus 1 through 5, or 1 through 4, and then I kind of want to show you a little bit uh, of how it impacts 5. Let's read it together. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect for their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness 
in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested his word through the preaching with which I have been trusted by the command of God, our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And we're going to just stop right there. A lot of times it's easy to just kind of brush right past that greeting. We shouldn't. It sets the whole thing up, right? We, if we do that, we, we endanger ourselves from, of severing the practical from the vertical, right? It's God's word. And what you notice right away is that it's God's mission we're on. It's God's mission Paul is on. It's God's mission, right? That's what Paul says. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul is on a mission from God. He's God's servant. He's sent for a purpose by a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. It defines him. And us too. Us too. As individuals, if you belong to Jesus Christ, it defines you. And as a church, most certainly, it defines us. This church is on a mission from God. Despite what well-meaning others might suggest for us, everybody's willing to give the church a new mission. Everybody's willing for the church to sort of tweak the direction, sort of um, make this a different project, even by well-meaning people. And we're very tempted by this because we so badly want to be liked. Making disciples, the mission we've been given, isn't always popular. And as soon as we find that it's not popular, we, it's very natural for us to say, well, what would you like? The mission doesn't come from well-meaning others. The mission comes from God. The world is certainly eager for us to have a different mission, right? There's lots of problems out there that the church could solve, and the world would love for us to just hey, take on uh, the NGO status and mission that the world would like to give us and go solve some problems. I'm all into solving problems. Praise God, let's solve some problems. But there's one problem that God has specifically given to the church to solve, and that is that there are not enough, nor are there good enough worshipers. We're out to make more and better worshipers of the Lord Almighty. That's our job. Make disciples. Go make more and better disciples. Worshipers. I want to be a better worshiper of God. And that's the job we've been given. And we'll keep becoming better and better worshipers until he comes. Or I die. That's my eschatology. 
more and better worshipers. That's the mission we've been given. It hasn't been given, us, given to us by well-meaning others. It hasn't been given to us by the world. It's come from God. And it doesn't come from ourselves either. We can cook up lots of great things to do. It comes from God. That has to be our orientation first and foremost. Like Paul's, it has to be vertical. That's what this logo means here. Um, you heard uh, Nate mentioned it earlier, right? This, this steeple with the, the clear vertical orientation, uh, that, that came about when, when we, um, as a church planting network, were putting together a, an album, and we called it Vertical Church. A group of songwriters called it Vertical Church over this idea of this is God's mission. We are Godward-oriented, vertical that's what we want to be. And we're going to start using this logo uh, as we transition to our new space. And that's what it means. It just so happens that the new space we're going to uh, was recently vacated by a church with the word harvest in their name. And, uh, and the th- uh, a wheat theme in their logo. Easy to confuse. A- and they dissolved as a church because of some horrible scandals. Don't want to be confused. Right? So the, the, the timing for the logo change has circumstances, but the reason for the logo is timeless. It's because we want to be, and we ask God that he would continue to make us more and more a vertical church by his grace. So you're going to start seeing this sort of thing everywhere. Because when and if a church or a church's leadership starts to think it's about us or about them instead of about him, that's when we start towards spiritual decline and pragmatism. It's God's mission. It's God's mission. I want you to also notice this, that we should expect the effect of God's word in God's people to match God's character. We should expect the effect of God's word in God's people to match God's character. It says in verse 1, For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Well, for one, it's amazing to, to realize how vertical that little phrase is, God's elect. Right? At the start of Ephesians, it says, He chose us before the foundation of the world, that He predestined us for adoption. Why? Why? For the praise of His glorious grace. That little phrase is so vertical, when you unpack it, it's unbelievable. For the praise of His glorious grace. That he would choose people not because they are choice. I hated God. There was nothing choice about me. But Jesus Christ died for sinners like me. I hated God. But Jesus Christ died for such that even while they were yet sinners, even while they were yet enemies, even while they were yet like I was, like you were before you came to repentance and faith. And he saved you 
by his own grace and power. And, and, we did nothing to make ourselves good enough for him. We did nothing to earn this grace or else it wouldn't be grace, right? We didn't step up to him. He came down to us and saved us. He, we did nothing. Grace meets you where you are and it doesn't leave you there. Right, do you see that in verse 1, at the, right there at the end? Which accords with godliness. The grace of God meets you wherever you are and doesn't leave you there. The effect of God's word and God's people matches God's character. God saved you based on no change in your life, but based on the cross. And then he changes your life. He changes your life. Life transformation is a real Thing by the power of God. He does not leave you there. He changes your life based on the cross and every godly doctrine that flows from it. Let me say it another way. The gospel is not the message that Jesus died to make bad people better. The gospel is that Jesus died to make dead people alive. And he takes those alive people and makes them godly don't know which is more of a miracle. <laughs> both of grace. Both of grace. Big theme in Titus. We're going to see it as we study this whole book. And some of you have already been studying this book. It's fantastic. Some of you have been studying it and you realize that that's a huge theme in Titus. That there were those who were trampling on the grace of God saying, oh, well, if God saves me by grace, then I'll just, I'll just act in a way that doesn't match his character. No, you've got it wrong. Expecting the effect of God's word and God's people to match God's character is not legalism. It's simply a life saved by and submitted to the Lord. I want you to notice this also. That he's given us to steward God's message of eternal life. Steward God's message of eternal life. It says in verse 2, in the hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. We are called by him to steward this message and to proclaim it. Never to alter it or even shy away from it. It's his message. And we are his stewards. So let, let me point out these two things. First of all, it's his message. So we, we don't get to change it. We don't get to soften it. We don't get to harden it. We don't get to go above the line. We don't get to go below the line. We don't get to ignore it. It's his message, right? His. And we've been entrusted with it like Paul. So we don't get to sit on it, right? Here, here's the picture I want you to have in your head. You are a herald of the king. You're a herald of the king. You, you know, 
just kind of imagine a, a guy in funny tights and, and, and regal, you know, clothes, and he's got a scroll, and he's like, hear ye, hear ye. The king has so ordered, right? Can you picture that guy? I don't, I don't know, Robin Hood, maybe era or so. That's what I have in my head when I think the king's herald, right? And that guy's got a job. And it's not to get the decree of the king and then just say whatever he wants. Nor is it to get the decree of the king and decide he'd rather just farm radishes. He's got a job. You have a job. We have a job. And that's to herald the news that Jesus Christ died for sinners, such as we have been. That's the job. We don't change it, and we don't sit on it, or else you'd be a bad herald. Our obligation with the gospel, then, is not, first of all, horizontal, right? The, the obligation that herald has, right? Think back to that. That obligation that the herald has is not, first of all, horizontal, he wants everyone to hear this message. He'd like everyone to obey this message. He'd like everyone to believe this message. And he'd like everyone to be persuaded by this message. He'd like everyone to just gather around and just listen to every word he says. He'd like that. He'd like the people to respond in certain ways. But that sure isn't his first obligation. His first obligation is to the king. And the king said, go to such and such a village, stand in the square, roll it up, and say, this is my message. Where's the first obligation? Here or here? It's vertical. It's vertical. That's why we can boldly share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why throughout the New Testament, Paul and the other authors as well constantly point out the boldness that is associated with sharing the gospel. The boldness, because it's from the king. It's not from our powers of persuasion that we might bring someone to the, to the truth of Jesus Christ. It's from the king. That's why the boldness. Let's notice this as well. We should recognize the family bond. We should recognize the family bond. It's God's doing. It's God's doing. Verse 4, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Where does the bond with Titus come from? Is it horizontal? Right? They, they, they went to the same fraternity? They're relatives. They both lived in Alamo Heights. The bond is not horizontal. The bond is vertical. We have a lot of affinities in this church. Some people educate their kids the same way. Some people live in Alamo Heights together. Some people, um, some people are the same age band. Some people live uh, over in uh, this uh, Stone Oak area. A lot of affinities. A lot of affinities. And that's great. Nothing wrong with that. 
But just understand the thrust and dominant action of the New Testament is tearing those things down. Popping bubbles. Not clumping people together who are like one another. The dominant thrust and action of the New Testament is to take people who are not like one another, who have no affinity for one another other than the Lord and putting them together and the world looking on and going, how did that happen? And the answer is, the gospel happened. The gospel put us together. Look at the book of Ephesians. The entire book of Ephesians is about how can these two people live together? And the answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ is, how, is what have brought these two groups of people together. How can this group be a body so that this is attached to this and that person attached to the other. It is not because of natural affinities. It's because of a vertical orientation that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's great. It's great to have horizontal um, likenesses. That's, that's nothing wrong with that. Plenty of fun. But just realize that the vertical priorities drive the horizontal priorities. This bond supersedes all others and it will involve some bubble popping. Everybody here ready to be a bubble popper? All right? Based on your vertical orientation, you realize you're going to have to pop some horizontal bubbles. Now, I saw two that were ready today. We'll work on the rest of you. But Titus is Paul's true child in a common faith. Grace and peace comes from God our Savior and Christ Jesus, God our Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. That's the blessing that comes from Paul. And I want us to recognize this that we should receive elders as God's means. We should receive elders as God's means. Verse 5 says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, if I was going to simply explain verse 5 by itself, I wouldn't put it this way. I wouldn't put it this way, receive elders as God's means. But I put it this way this morning, because I want you to see the continuity of verses 1 through 4 and then 5. I want you to see that this isn't just like, oh, here's this little greeting, and then, and then we get to the nitty-gritty. There's a continuity of vertical focus in Paul, and he's going to come back to it again and again throughout this book. And so I put it this way this morning, and actually we're going to cover verse 5 again next week as we take the whole chunk about elders. So I feel perfectly comfortable saying it this way today, receive elders as God's means. Right? We're getting to the nitty-gritty here, but if we saw a separation, that would be a mistake. We have to see them as unified, the vertical and the practical. Do not, and here we go, we talk about elders, we'll talk about practical things, we talk about order in the church and structure. Do not reject God's appointed means as a false way of trusting him more. 
Let me say that again. Do not reject God's appointed means as a false way of trusting him more. Let me, let me tell you kind of how, how that attitude talks. It talks like this. I don't need God's word. I know God himself. Of course, God's response to that is, if you knew me, you'd love my word. Don't separate me from my word. Or here's another way that attitude talks. I don't need church. I love Jesus. And of course, Jesus' response to that is, if you loved me, you'd love my bride. Don't separate me from my bride. Don't reject God's appointed means as a false way of trusting him more. You trust the Bible because you trust God. You love the church because you love Jesus. You submit to your elders because you are submitted to the Lord. If God has appointed elders under the authority of his word as means for leading his church, then ignoring those means doesn't make you more spiritual. It makes you arrogant. Did that land? Because we got to do this too. Yet, your trust must be in the Lord and not in order and elders. Right? God is the source. Elder, order, our means. We don't trust the means as the source. We trust the source. We trust the means because of the source. Our heart is on him. Nate read Jeremiah 17, and, and I'm going to read it again to you now. Just to drive the point home, we don't trust the means as the source. We trust the means because of the source. And yet we don't reject the source as some false way of trusting him more. They say reject the means. We don't reject the means. Let's read Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. I'm going to put it up on the screen here. I say, I'm going to put it up on the screen. They're going to put it up on the screen. Thanks, guys. And you can read along here or in your Bible. I would, I would encourage you to just bookmark this passage. I come back to it over and over again. Nate comes back to it over and over again. And I think you would too. Jeremiah 17 says this, verse 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, who trusts in Josh, who trusts in Trebes, Clayton, Eric, Nate, who trusts in a place, technology. God doesn't need these things. He uses these things. God doesn't need this person. He uses this person. Cursed is the one who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart 
turns away from the Lord. Again, our hearts can, our hearts can trust the Lord by receiving his appointed means or our hearts can turn away from the Lord by resting on his means, resting on these men. Our hearts must not rest on men. That person, he's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. And I know it's true. When my heart has trusted in other things besides the Lord, how quickly I just dry up. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream, and, and listen to this, and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. No matter what comes, no matter if everything around us comes crashing down, no matter if leaders fail, no matter if landlords tear up leases, no matter what, when the drought comes, you will not fail to bear fruit if your trust is in the Lord. No matter what comes, we will not fail to bear fruit if our trust is in the Lord, if we don't sever the vertical from the practical. That's what we want to be. Not only bearing fruit, but not fearing anything. And so, we will trust the Lord. And we will receive his appointed means. But we will trust the Lord. I'm going to ask the band to come on up here. and I'm going to ask you all to stand as well. As we pray precisely this. You know, I think I probably pray something similar to this every Sunday morning with um, this band before um, we begin our worship service. I pray together with them, something similar to this, and I'd like to pray it together with you, not at the beginning of a worship service, but really at the beginning of really a new time in the life of this church. Right? I don't know if you sense it. There's a pivot. There's a pivot here. And we started this church a year or so ago. We launched out saying, keep us vertical. Make us vertical. And keep us vertical. And that is our prayer today. Let's not at any leg in this journey that God has us on take our eyes off of him and somehow start thinking it's, we have to trust in something else. We have to trust in one another. We have to trust in, in, in something. Cursed is the one who trusts in man and all that man can provide. We trust in man, we get what man can do at best. And that's not much, especially if it's this man. We trust in the Lord, we get what he can do. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you've heard our hearts. You've heard my heart. 
And I pray that it reflects the heart of even the Apostle Paul as he penned these words by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that would reflect a vertical orientation to his life and his heart and, and my heart and my life and the life of this church and the mission that he appointed Titus for and the mission that you've given Harvest Bible Chapel San Antonio. And we don't want to waver from it. We don't want to veer off course. And there's one sure way to do that, and that is to take our eyes off of you. Vertical matters. That's what matters most. We cannot sever all of these other practical things that we're going to talk about here in the future, about elders and leadership, about, about discipline, about all of these very practical church matters. We cannot talk about these things in a way that's severed from what you have called us to, and that's a vertical orientation. Would you guard our hearts together? We submit ourselves to you. We beg you to guard our hearts. It'd be a grace, and I know you're in the grace business. And so we come to you confident because of the son that you have sacrificed for us. Because of Jesus, we come asking in his name.